Welcome to the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Joshua Simmons. Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Trout Routes, the number one mapping resource for trout anglers. Turtle Box Audio, the loudest, most rugged outdoor speaker. And Catch Cam Nets, where you can build your own net. And I'm Caleb Simmons. Thanks for joining with me and my brother as we discuss fly fishing, fatherhood, and faith, and the intermingling of it all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 127 of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb Simmons, as always, with my brother Joshua Simmons. Joshua, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. Uh, just excited for uh, this episode today with a kind of cool guy we met that kind of fits the perfect Dads on the Fly uh, guest. Yeah, so today, coming up on the episode, we've got Mr. Eric Parton. Eric is the pastor of Shoreline Church in Destin, Florida. Uh, he's also a licensed uh, captain and does a lot of inshore fly fishing. He's a husband, he's a father, he's even a grandfather, and he's a lifelong waterman, been huge into sailing, surfing, and now he's definitely into fly fishing. So this is a great conversation with Eric. We talk, uh, we have a lot of fun in this episode talking a lot about um, just adventure and how important it is. Uh, we talk a little bit about ministry in it as well, and uh, just such a great conversation with Eric as he shares some fun and funny stories uh, of some past ministry experiences um, and we just hope that above all else today that this conversation just encourages you as uh, you seek to think about uh, the ways that you bring up your kids or also think about some time on the water because one of our favorite things to talk about, Joshua, is always fly fishing and uh, Eric's got some really cool experiences down there uh, in the Destin area and all up Florida chasing a fish that seems to continue to elude us, the mighty elusive redfish on the fly. Yeah, man, this is a great episode. I really want to thank Eric for joining us. We kind of met just on a whim through a Instagram conversation. Somehow our Instagram path crossed and found out that he was a pastor and a father and a fly fisherman, and so it worked out great for us. Just want to say a quick thank you to everybody. Uh, last week's episode was really kind of cool. Uh, more of a, I told somebody, like therapy session for me, kind of. You, you ask all the questions, and I just kind of did some answering. And uh, a lot of people really resonated that don't usually listen to the show. Uh, a lot of people found it great to listen to about their own kind of walk with their kid and coaching their kid or hanging out with their kid or sport youth sports in general so it was a cool conversation i really just want to thank everybody i got a lot of feedback from just some folks that don't usually listen to the show and they gave a lot of great feedback and just want to thank them for uh being honest and uh also you know just that conversation yeah man it was definitely a good one and uh, i encourage anybody who maybe missed it or if you're brand new to the show go back and check it out go check out uh any of the past episodes we've had a lot of great guests on and josh and i also just have a lot of great conversations as well as we continue to do what we've always wanted to do in this podcast and that's share with you the conversations that we used to have to and from the river and uh so yeah appreciate last week and appreciate your transparency as we talked a little bit about coaching our own kids in last week's episode so yeah if you missed it go back and check it out and uh, so as we dive into today's episode, just want to thank everybody again, as Joshua said, that continues to give feedback. Ratings and reviews help us to get the word out about this podcast. But actually, the best way to share this podcast is if you find the conversation that we have interesting, just uh, hit that share button on your podcast provider and send it in a text, send it in a message to a friend, let them know it's something you're interested in and you think they might like it as well. Just helping us to get the word out continues to allow this uh, show to grow and allows us to do more exciting and fun things with each one of you for the future. So thanks everyone for all of your continued support. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Mr. Eric Barton. Well, so welcome into the Dads on the Fly show today, Mr. Eric Parton. Eric Parton coming to us our first ever guest coming to us from a tent, Caleb. Yep. Coming to us live from a tent. Mr. Eric, we appreciate you joining us, man. No, my pleasure, man. I'm just glad to be on here and honored and you know, it's gonna be fun. I've never I've done a lot of podcasts, but they're always, you know, church podcasts, religious podcasts. This is a religious fishing podcast. First ever. There you go. There you go. Well, we're happy to be your first ever non uh, I guess first job work podcast and, and uh there you go your, your, your new job podcast there you go yeah and i've been listening to your shows to kind of get your vibe and i really like them we appreciate that sir and uh i'll just say uh how i met eric I, I can't remember i think eric it was maybe just an instagram night man where i kind of got rolling around first of the year i started trying to book guests for uh for 2024 and saw that eric was uh doing some some fly fishing in a place that i visited and we're gonna talk about that and so one thing led to another phone conversation one night, and here we are coming to us from uh, Mosquito Lagoon, correct? Mesquite Lagoon. Yes, that's see. right. Yeah. I think that you you might. I had a viral. I had a video that kind of, I'd say viral for me. You know, like four thousand likes. Um, 
for sure. But it was one of those, one of those, you know, one of those ones at the end of the year where they go show the best view you ever saw this year. And I have a, I did a video of my friend. There was a redfish who was back out of the water and he was up so shallow. Uh, and so my buddy got out of the boat, real chippy Mahi is his name's Roy Stanky. And he, and I just got the whole thing the eat and everything. And it was so sick. Um, and then I put it on Instagram and it, it kind of went crazy. And I think you might've seen that one. Yeah, we definitely did. I uh, got to love the Instagram reels. Um, they, uh, they, that, you know, that's the algorithms got me figured out. That's all I see all the time. And so, uh, I'm sure we caught it <laughs> on there. And, uh, but Eric, this is super cool. You're coming to us as, uh, as Joshua said from tent, you're down, uh, camping at the coast, I'm assuming. Yep. Down in the Mosquito Lagoon, down, uh, fishing, uh, for redfish in Mosquito Lagoon, which is a really good red fishery. In fact, I probably should have blurbed that out because the local guys don't want us talking about it, but we it's world it. renowned <laughs> red fishing. Yeah. Uh, so it was a last minute thing. I had this scheduled with you and then I was like, well, maybe I can still hook up with them on the, while I'm camping in it, you know, while I'm in the tent. And so that's what I did. Love it. That's awesome. So Mosquito Lagoon, uh, it's down, uh, we're at in Florida exactly. It's in Brevard County, uh, near Cocoa beach, Kennedy space center. In fact, we launched, we watched a rocket launch today while we were fishing. Uh, so it's about 50 miles east of Orlando, right on the coast. That's super cool. So is that kind of like your home waters? Is that where you hang out most of the time? No, I hang out in Destin, but I lived here for 17 years. So I know these waters and it's a, just a great, I, so I can break away, come down here for a week and call up my friends and get somebody for every day to fish, you know, where sometimes I'll go explore in other parts of Florida and I'm by myself and it's a lot harder to fish on a technical polling skiff by yourself. You really need another person. Awesome. Well, Eric, first, before we get into like all of your story, uh, tell us the first time you might can remember yourself uh, having a fly rod in your hand and, and what kind of led to that passion before we talk about your other passions of ministry. Um, what kind of led to that fly rod passion? All right. And I remember it well. I even have a picture of the first fish. And unlike your guest who says, uh, what was his name? Um, uh, I'm a big fly fisher. I'm a big fly oh, fisher. Huge, huge, fly, huge. Fisher. fly fisher. Yeah. 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 He says that trout is the foundation of, of fly fishing, right? Uh, and he goes, you know, you catch trout first and then you'll catch something else. My first fish on a fly was a redfish. Oh, wow. And, Too um, cool. So I grew up around the water doing everything. I didn't fly fish, but I did everything from just different phases of it. Sailing, surfing, fishing, uh, you know, even uh, slalom skiing, just all around the water. So about in 2011, I was bringing a boat, a sailboat back from St. Thomas. And we stopped in Puerto Rico and there was a skiff for sale. It looked like a panga with a polling platform on it, you know, four grand. So I bought it and we towed it back. And on the way back, we stopped in the jamentos in the bahamas and went bone fishing i didn't know how to fly fish and i wasn't fly fishing we were spin fishing but i didn't catch anything so i get back to florida and i start looking at youtube videos of course that's how you learn everything right uh and i started looking at youtube videos of just skinny water fishing you know guys because i'd fished deep sea fishing in fact i'd had an offshore boat for a while but i had never really focused on inshore fishing when i was a kid we'd catch trout all the time under the lights and you know trout fish and stuff like that so anyway, I started watching these guys fishing skinny water. Well, of course, fly fishing videos came up. So guys like Eric Estrada, skinny water culture, all the Florida guys. So I, I wanted to try that. So I was going to the Bahamas on a trip and my pastor gave me a fly rod, 10 weight fly rod, because he wasn't using it. He was a big fisherman. Uh, and so I went to the Bahamas. I didn't catch anything. But finally, on Memorial weekend, what year was that? I don't know. I, I, I remember I was in this kind of a saltwater freshwater lake i've caught bass and redfish in it i'm in that skiff that i got from puerto rico and i can see a redfish tailing down by the these reeds i don't even have a push pole yet i'm just starting and so i see this ta redfish tailing so i let the wind blow me down so i could be quiet and i drop an anchor and the second cast i pulled it in it was a 26 inch redfish first fish i ever got on fly then i never got another fish for six months <laughs> i was coming down to mosquito lagoon yeah, it's the truth. Coming down to Mosquito Lagoon, I was going to fish with this uh, really good guide. His name is Willie Lee. Uh, he guides down here. If you're going to get a guide, he's really good. And so before I fished with him, I went, there's this guy named Captain Chris Myers out of Orlando who fishes Mosquito Lagoon. He does a lessons and he has YouTube videos. I send people to his videos all the time. So I booked him for lessons. He goes, all right, let me see your cast. And first I start casting and he looks at me and goes, you caught a redfish? 
I'm like, I know <laughs> it was just luck. It's that's when I started the blind squirrel fishing club. Yeah. Cause even a blind squirrel gets a fish every now and then. Right. So yeah, that was my first fish and I was hooked. In fact, so I've listened to a lot of y'all's podcasts and I heard about your pastor. He was on here, right? Yeah. And his story about his wife being pregnant. I've already told that story a dozen times. That thing is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. It's crazy, right? But so, um, I, I have a feeling that he goes to Refuge Foundation to the Bighorn River. That's where he went. Cause yes. you talked about yeah. fly fishing and yeah, my wife's actually out there right now. She just caught oh, today a 19 cool. inch rainbow and two Browns, but, um, I got invited to that too. I think it was 2014 or so. Yeah. About 10 years ago, maybe it was 2013. And I never wanted to fly fish in the mountains. Cause I'm always like those fish, they're like bait, right? We're catching redfish that are, you know, yes, that's what we always hear from our Florida relatives when we show pictures on (laughs) Facebook. They're like, What do you use that for? Exactly. Yeah. So I got invited there and it was like, Hey, everything's paid. Just got to pay your airfare. I was like, Okay. So I went out there and I loved it. And so now I fly fish anything. I've got everything from a two weight up to a 12 weight. I fished, I've fished Australia. I've fished all around this country. I mean, Bahamas you know just bali if i can bring a fly rod i'm gonna do it i just love it that's uh so that's, that's super friend. cool i love that man and uh love that your first ever fish on the fly was a 26 inch redfish and uh here we are we've been fishing 11 years now and uh we've still yet to catch a redfish on the fly joshua and um we haven't so, tried that much. Don't make I mean, it sound like I've been it, doing it for 11 years. We've done it several times. The guy, for 11 the, years. The guy goes out one of the first times and just, you know, makes it happen. And uh, so, yeah. Living for it. <laughs> yeah, but now it doesn't always happen. Like yeah, I said, I didn't catch anything for six months after that. Yeah. But I do yeah, love I, putting people on redfish. I do love put, putting people on redfish for their, for their first time, especially on fly. I've traded a lot of um, guides out in Montana, like do trades with them. Come to Florida, yeah. I'll push you around. And they push and they paddle me around out in Montana. Yeah. So uh, I've done a lot of that. I could That's really you. cool. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like it might be a trip that needs to happen. We, we can't you can paddle, come to the mountains. We can't paddle him around Montana. We can Not paddle Montana. <laughs> we can paddle him around Western North Carolina and, you know, we could go see some of the cool rivers here and he could go catch some bait, um, which is, you know, what he would probably enjoy doing, yeah. catching catch some, some pretty, bait, some pretty, bait. pretty Appalachian brook trout up here and, uh, doing that. That's a good time. That's what we love doing. But, um, so you uh, you got a fly rod in your hand. You fell in love with it, as you said. You said you were always uh, around the water. Um, was that yep. like growing up that way? Was that way for you? Yeah, growing up, I had my first boat at 10 years old. Uh, just did everything around the water. You know, adventure's always been part of my, it's one of my values, adventure. I've always loved adventure. So camping, I like I camped 30 days last year, you know. Uh, so yeah, just grew, grew up around the water. So anything around the water, I love doing. And I'm, I think I, I think one of you guys talked about this where you get into something and maybe it was one of your guests. You just get into it. That's the way yeah. I am. In fact, that's when I became a Christian. That's what happened as I just totally like read nothing but the Bible for two years and, you know, and ended up in ministry. I was totally unexpected. Same thing with everything I've ever gotten into. It's once I get into it, I'm into it full blown. Well, tell us a little bit about that, Eric. Um, you know, you said you uh, you you just said it was kind of a shock to you kind of getting involved in ministry. You, you came to know Christ um, at some point in your life. And like well, you said, it's just full. Were you fly fishing later. before you were in ministry or were you men ministry? No, no, no. I've only been I've only been fly fishing since I picked up that boat in uh, 2011 in uh, okay. uh, St. Thomas or where did we pick it? Puerto Rico. Yeah. So yeah. I've only been doing that for fly fishing since then. I've been in ministry since 1987. Yeah, gotcha. I'm that old. <laughs> yeah, I won't tell you how old we were in 1987. No need to. No need to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what was that? Yeah. What was that uh, like for you, Eric? Tell us a little bit about that, if you're comfortable with it. The ministry part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, 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 let's see how should I how should I begin this story? Um, I w- didn't grow up in church at all. I was a pretty wild person, pretty wild kid you know, ran away when I was 15, not because I was in trouble or didn't have a good family life. I just wanted to go on an adventure with me and my buddy and we rode motorcycles all the way up to upstate New York. Uh, so I was kind of a partier. And then I met my wife uh, when she was 17. We met and she, I was 21. And she had she had an atheist father, but her all her sisters had gotten saved. They were all Christians. And so he was very antagonistic towards the whole thing. 
And uh, so when I met her, you know, I was a bartender. She worked in the restaurant that I worked in and we started dating. Uh, two years later, we got married. Um, but I was a wreck. I was just a big partier. And I don't know how we survived the first year of marriage. But she, in that miserable time of our marriage, she reverted back to her Christianity. So I like to think that I, I drove her to God. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, we, uh, I was, we were living in Destin, but I got a job down here in this area, Merritt Island. As a sail, I was a sailmaker. I made sails for sailboats and I raced yachts. I was a, you know, did a lot of sailboat racing. And so I got a job at a, what they call a sail loft down here. And she thought it was going to be a good change for me. But, you know, you always find the same kind of friends. And I found them down here, started partying. And uh, she started, she found a church. She got hooked into this church. And then she, uh, and they talked to the pastor about me. And the pastor said, quit nagging him, pray for him. And then what she did was she left this book out uh, by Pat Robertson. I don't know if you guys know him, called uh, 200 of Li- or 100, 200 of Life's Most Probing Questions. He's just sitting on the coffee table. So when she was at work, I'd take a look at it. And I, I had questions about God. So I started reading these questions and he, he was answering them for me. And then one night while she was at work, uh, there was a, a prayer in the back of the book and I prayed it. And she came home and I said, hey, I prayed this prayer. And she's like, I know you, I'm not sleeping with you. Okay, I just got to work. I'm like, no, seriously, I prayed this prayer, right? <laughs> and uh, the next Sunday, <laughs> the, the next Sunday, I said, are we going to church? Right. And she thought it was just no way. Uh, you know, you, this isn't real. And uh, we went to church and the pastor did an altar call. So I went up to the altar call, got saved. That was uh, in March of 1987. And um, I started the church was a brand new church it was meeting in a hotel. But pretty soon they bought a movie theater and we were there to remodel it. And I we volunteered one time to help be a chaperone for the youth ministry. And after about six months, they, I was even a Christian for a year. They asked me to lead the youth ministry. And then I did that part-time. I did it volunteer for three years. Then they started paying me part-time. And then 1995, I was a full, I was a UPS driver and I left UPS to go into full-time ministry. So that's kind of a, uh, Cliff's note version. That's too cool, cool, man. Like nothing like youth ministry bringing, I think all of us sitting here have done our share of youth ministry. Uh, maybe some of us yeah. more than others, but you know, we've done, I've done some interim stuff. Caleb's had to do some youth ministry before he got to where he's at now with the church. So we can all know what we can do a whole podcast on youth ministry for sure. But, uh, too, too, too cool of a story. Um, thank you for sharing. I just want to, no you know, hope it's just a cool thing for everybody to understand that you never know when, uh, when God's timing is. And it was so cool to see how, uh, just to hear you tell that story with such passion. Um, well, I got a, I, I got mean, a, sto- like, a side story out of that. If you let me tell it. Yeah, um, go ahead. So I, when, when I was in high school, I was on a surf shop, uh, surf team, you know, all the surf shops have their team members, team riders, you surf competition. So I was on a, uh, called Interlight Surf Shop, still around. Yancey Spencer out of Pensacola started devout Christian. And, but, uh, this guy named Tim Carr ran the shop in Fort Walton beach. And I was on the team and I knew they were Christians, but they never talked to me about God or anything. And when I moved away to, cause you know, I grew up in Destin when I moved away, to Brevard County and got saved. And I, then I became a pastor, you know, years later I came home and I went and found him. I go, Tim, you're never going to believe this, but I'm a pastor, dude. And he goes, I know I've heard. He goes, I tell your story. I tell people about you at, you know, young kids at Bible studies. I'm like, what? He goes, this is what he said. He goes, yeah, I tell them that I had a guy on our team and he was the wildest, craziest dude I've ever met. And I decided, uh, you know, there's no way he'd ever get saved, never, ever come to Christ. So I never talked to him about God. And then he moved away to Cocoa Beach, ends up becoming a Christian. And now he's a pastor. He goes, so you never know, you know, who you're talking to, what God can do. And after he told that story, I went, I was the wildest person you ever met. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Too cool, man. Uh, so, you know, you started this church, uh, did you start the church that you're, that you're at now or, or they started it and you came, you started the church in Destin, correct? Yeah. So, uh, back when we were in youth ministry, we had a very thriving youth ministry. I love youth ministry. I loved working with teenagers. Never thought I'd get out of ministry, but we could just tell something was coming up. We didn't know what it was. And I just kind of said to the Lord, Hey, you know, cause I didn't want to get out of youth ministry. So I said, but I would go home to Destin to start a church. And that ended up being what it was, you know, that God was sending us to desk back to our hometown to start a church. So we started it in 2005. Uh, are you guys, your church, are y'all part of ARC? 
Uh, no, I'm very familiar with Ark, though. Okay. Well, we were we were number sixteen. We number church number sixteen. Oh wow. Ark. Yeah. So we started in 2005. We were portable for 12 years, and then we bought uh, an old nightclub. <laughs> it was hilarious because it was a nightclub that I that's used awesome. to go to uh, a lot. I saw the Ramones. Oh, there. that's so that, that's so cool. I yeah. love that. That's great. Yeah, I can I can stand on the stage and go. Oh, I snorted cocaine on that table right over there. You know, uh, yeah. that was in the eighties, though. It wasn't recently. But, <laughs> yeah, so we turned it. We we remodeled that nightclub. We didn't. Uh, we 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 made it better, but we didn't take like. There's a lot. If you go there now, Nighttown Nighttown is called Nighttown. Was a very famous place. A lot of people have stories there. We got people in our church that that you know their first kiss was there, and they're married now with four kids. Um, and so there's a lot of stories. So we left a lot of memorabilia up there. Um, and so that people could see it because we felt like that nightclub was like our stories that God doesn't change your past. He just redeems it, you know? And so we wanted to leave a lot and go, look, that was a chapter in this club, but now here's what God's using. It's just the same with our life. He didn't erase my history. He used parts of my history to actually create my future. So. That's, that's cool. And now I, I just that. want to come not only yeah, to go redfish, and I want to come to church too, just to <laughs> hang out in the nightclub. Church uh, night. Make it a party. Yeah. yeah. We, I've been to Destin a couple times, so Me now too. I've got somewhere to a reason to go back. Uh, so let's transition just a minute here, Eric, to, um, you know, you got that skiff. Uh, you're in ministry. You, you get this skiff on the way home, and you come back. And at that point, you're in Destin, correct? With, with yes. The skiff. Yeah. And, uh, and you yep. start just exploring water. Uh, what was that like for you exploring water in, in kind of the Destin area? Yeah, that was, uh, definitely it was a, uh, stiff learning curve because, uh, I actually, yeah, cause it, Destin isn't known for its flats because you don't really need a flats boat in Destin. It is nice or in that area because most of our flats have drop-offs. So if you were in a bay boat with a half tower, you know, what I'm talking about, it's got the little tower on it. You got a trolling yeah. motor. You can troll down the flats on the edge, not get right up on them, but you can sight fish the fish if you can cast pretty far. So you don't really need them. But I love fishing skinny water. Like down here in Mosquito Lagoon, it can be so shallow for miles that you have to finally find a pothole that you can try to jump up on a plane on. So I like fishing there, the Everglades, Louisiana, where it's all skinny. So uh, a skiff is very important. But yeah, it was a big learning curve. Uh, And I made friends with other guys who did it. And at the time, this is, you know, we're talking, what, 20, 10, 20, 12 years ago, there wasn't a lot of skiffs and there wasn't a lot of guys saltwater fly fishing there. So, but now it's, we got a big following there. We got a, a group of guys. My church hosts the fly fishing film tour every year. Uh, we put on, That's our awesome. church puts on a redfish tournament, fly fishing tournament that we, all the proceeds go to the local, you know, Choctaw Basin Alliance, which is the preserve our waterway kind of thing. So, uh, it was, it was definitely, um, because red fishing is like, um, permit fishing. It's difficult on fly, you know, for some places where we live, it's very difficult, but you know, it's hard. Cause when people go, Oh, how'd you do none, you know, but they don't, they, we're not soaking bait and dropping them under yeah. a bridge, you know, where they're pulling in 14 or 15 fish. No, we're out there on the flats trying to sight fish, you know, scout and look for fish, hunt down fish, track fish. Well, I mean, and just to be honest, you know, in the in the world we live in with, like Caleb said, the algorithm of Instagram and YouTube videos that we talk to a lot of these folks, you know, Destin doesn't come out as a as a redfish mecca, you know, like South Carolina, kind of the Charleston area, a lot of redfish in there. You've got yeah. some folks that do it in Louisiana, of course, the big reds you hear about. we got a buddy who lives down in a, um, like the Mobile Bay area and that kind of place. But to be honest with you, when I saw I started following your channel and started just connecting with you. I hadn't heard of a lot of redfish guides in Destin, but it's encouraging to me because I got a, I got a lot of friends who go down there, and one of them actually has a place in Destin. So it's like I, I now have somebody say, "Hey, you you can redfish down there too," because yeah, to be honest, I'd never thought of it much. So it's a little different than what like flood tides and stuff like that. Is that correct? It's a little different down in your area. Yeah, we don't have flood tides. We definitely don't. We barely even have any tides. Our tides are like eight inches, so tide isn't a variable unless you're near an inlet, obviously. Um, or you find some places where the tide's moving, but most of the time on the flats, it's not going to be an issue. Um, and the other hard, hard part about Destin is Destin, because of its fishing heritage and fishing history, is known for the let's fill the coolers type fishing, you know. And 
there's a group of us that are trying to change that because we've watched the decline in redfish just in the time that I've been fishing it for the last 10 or 15 years, seeing the decline. And it's trying to basically change that mentality. And, you know, fish and wildlife is changing it for us because you can't hardly keep anything anymore. So, but it is, it doesn't have the reputation of say what you're talking about, Louisiana or Everglades or South Carolina. It has a reputation of let's go down there and let's, it's actually, if you go to Venice, uh, Venice is a lot like that. A bunch of guys rent a houseboat and they want to fill their cooler or drink a bunch of beer. And that's what Destin gets a lot. Except for the houseboat part. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so uh, you've been hanging out uh, in the Destin area, learning, as you said, it was a pretty steep learning curve uh, how to do this. Um, and so where has that kind of led you to to now, Eric? You know, you, you're spending a lot of time still out on the water. Um, I know you're, yeah. uh, you're still in ministry and uh, still serving at your church. Um, but you also, in this time, have, have gotten your captain's license. Is that right? And so you're beginning to take people out yep. and uh, let them chase uh, redfish as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So l- l- uh, let me just, uh, I just thought of something too to add to that learning curve thing. So when I picked up redfish and I was also had spin rods. And so a lot of times we would bring, you know, have the spin rods on the boat. Oh, yeah. And if the it was too windy or whatever, you know, we, I would do a lot of spin rod fishing. And then in 2019, I ended up, uh, I had to, we had to sell our house and couldn't find one right away. So I ended up in my buddy's uh, guest house. His name's Roy Stanky. He is a guide you want to get uh, on the Gulf Coast. He is one of the best fly fishermen I know. He's a second generation captain. Great kid. I say kid. He graduated with my, graduated with my daughter. My daughter's always like, dad, why is one of your best friends my age? I'm like, your dad's a legend. You just don't know it, right? Because <laughs> your kids are the last ones to know you're a legend. Yeah, that's right. They, when they're young, they know it. But then about their teenage years, they lose it. They're like, he's not a legend anymore. Anyway, so I, I was fishing a lot with Royce, and Royce just refused to bring spin rods on the boat. So, And then I had another friend named Colin, same thing. So I, it wasn't, I didn't become proli- good at fly fishing until I put the spin rods away and never now I still bring one on the boat and keep it in case we can double up or I see something but I you know it was 2019 when I put the spin rods away and only fly fished no matter what the conditions were that's what improved my fly fishing yeah I mean so, at that point you have okay, no so, option like you have to you have to yeah. just really hone in on a skill right you've honed you honed in you said hey 2019 I'm honing on this skill I'm gonna make myself better at this Yes. Yes. So, cause the previously, if I couldn't get them on the fly, I'd pick up a spin rod. When you don't bring the spin rods, you don't have the option. So you're just going to get better at it. And that's, that's what got me better. So because I've been to answer your question on the, on the guiding and the captain's license, um, everyone in my family, except one has their captain's license. My, so we grew up with a sailboat. Uh, when we lived down here on the East coast, my kids grew up, uh, going, we grew up going to the Bahamas for vacation because yeah. we had a 32 foot sailboat. It wasn't fancy. When you talk about sailboats, people think, oh, you know, this was a boat that was actually a third generation. It was my father-in-law gave it to us, and then we've passed it to my son. But all my kids grew up. We would go sailing the Bahamas. We'd head over there for three weeks for vacation. You know, we would spear fish. We'd fish, you know, drop rigs, you know, catch snapper and groupers, get conch, sail, surf, you know, go to a surf spot. Um, And so uh, we did that all the time. And Hold on. I forgot what, what, what was I talking about? You're talking <laughs> about getting your, no, you're good. Talking about getting your captain's license. Oh. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been around the water. That boat has been passed on to my son. Now he runs charters out of it. So That's he's cool. got his hundred ton license. My wife has her captain's license. I've got my captain's license. My other son has his captain's license. So water's always been a part of it. Ministry is the main thing that I do. But when I, before I even have my captain's license, I would, I, I know how to do everything on the water. I mean, I, it's, I grew up doing it. So I would take people, like I said, I would trade trips for guys in Montana. There was one guy in Montana. He'd never, never been to Florida, never fished saltwater, never seen the ocean. So he flew down. I met him in Orlando. We fished this area. I put him on an inshore slam. He got his first redfish, stuck and tarpon in the first oh, wow. day we got an inshore slam. Yeah. So I, that's always been, you know, part of me. But as you said, I am transitioning the church. We started the church 20 years ago. So a year from February 2025, I will be handing the church over to this gentleman, young guy named Graham. He's like a son to me. You know, he grew up in the ministry. 
phenomenal speaker, great storyteller. Everybody loves him. So we've been in a transition for the last five or six years. Uh, actually, five years. It'll be the transition will be total six years. I'm not leaving. He's just going to become the lead pastor. I'm going to be still the founding pastor, senior pastor type thing. Um, so in that, I've been doing a lot more coaching. And what I do with my coaching is I do a lot of uh, adventure trips. I've done used adventure trips even when I was a youth pastor, you know, hiking in the mountains. You guys are near Maggie Valley, right? Yeah. 10 minutes up the road. I lost six liters in the Smoky Mountain National Park in January one time. And we were staying in the Smoky Shadows Lodge in, in Maggie Valley. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was a whole ordeal. Park rangers came out. They had to search for him. And I thought I was going to lose my job. You oh, know, turns out they took the wrong turn on a trail and got a ride back to the lodge. And we're out there looking for him in the dark. You oh, know. But did you uh, always you? Did you catch any bait while you were doing all that? Exploring? <laughs> or were you fly fishing in the, you know the, in the park? Hey, youth ministry is tough, man. You know, they, they expect a hundred percent return, right? You leave <laughs> with a hundred sure. students. They want a hundred back. Any yep. other job, if you have a 99% return, you've got right. a bonus, yeah, but exactly. no, <laughs> lose one student and you lose your job. I'm a, I'm, anyway. a middle school, uh, I'm a middle school assistant principal, so it's very well the same. You know, we, <laughs> we do have to put a hundred percent on the bus every day. That is, that is kind of important. <laughs> Yeah. So so what we've been doing in the last five years, we have a foundation now called the Blue Blue Sky Foundation. And uh, we've been doing retreats for pastors and I've been doing adventure trips for pastors. Like uh, last year, we took six pastors uh, up in the Yellowstone National Park on horseback, camped for four days and fly fished. You know, so um, we did another trip last this last summer in New Mexico. I've got one planned for New Mexico next this coming up in March. So what I do is do what I used to do with student leaders. I now do with young pastors because most young pastors never get time of refreshing. They don't get out in nature. I mean, I have a story where I, I have a story where I, I don't know, I'll freak your listeners out, but I heard the voice of God out in the wilderness in Wyoming one time and it changed my life. Yeah. So, and so that's what my transition is right now is I'm basically I only speak 13 times this year, which is hard because I love speaking. Yeah. But Graham is a phenomenal speaker. But uh, I'm just using, you know, I'm old now, 62. He's the face of a new generation. And uh, so I'm ba- really kind of focusing on coaching pastors, but using adventure because that's my one of my main values. Well, thanks for sharing all that, Derek. First of all, uh, props to you. Um, I think that's incredible um, when uh, someone who has started a thing like that and is willing to hand it off and doing it in the right way, um, it sounds like. Uh, I, I think that's really cool to see um, how uh, just kind of that um, – I've, I've lost the word that I'm, that I'm thinking of right here. But the way you've apprenticed and the way that you're, uh, the way that you're doing that I think is so um, – thoughtful and and you can tell there's a lot of thought going into it. it's what wasn't just like a spur of the moment decision and um i think it's really incredible to set your set your church up still for success well you know i've seen because we're in this transition i've been on some transits because all my mentors who are just years ahead of me when i was through youth ministry and pastoring they're you know now they're because they're ahead of me they've gone through this transition <coughs> excuse me so i've seen some good ones and i've seen some bad ones and one of the things I think about some of the some of the guys have a hard time letting go because mo- a lot of those guys who plant churches or pastor churches are very driven, you know, type A personalities. Um, and I'm not that. I'm more of the playful guy. Uh, I think it was what's his name, Smalley, Gary Smalley, that came up with uh, the lion, the otter, yeah, that uh, the, the, explained the personalities. I've always been the otter, so yeah. I'm the so when it comes to me going. So wait a minute, let me get this straight. I can basically not do ministry and just go play and you still pay me. I'm in, you know, (laughs) so so I don't have a hard time letting go because I'm thinking, I okay, I'm going to go camping and I'm going to go fishing. Right. But I also think about it in terms. I also think about in terms of the kingdom. You know, I don't understand why pastors won't let go because it's kind of like the whole Solomon thing with the girl with the two, two hookers that had a baby. And he said, let's cut it in half. And the real mom says, no, no, give it to her. Right. Remember, you know, that story. With oh, Solomon. Yeah. If you if a pastor really loves his church and plants his church, it's the best thing for him to actually hand it off to the next generation. 
you know, and because I think about David and Saul, you know, Saul was jealous of David so much that it cost him his life. But if he'd actually honored his word and given his, you know, given his daughter like he was supposed to, and he Saul could have sat back as the elder statesman and grandfather and enjoyed his grandkids while David ran the kingdom. But because of his own insecurity, he was too jealous of the next generation, and he never saw that. And that would have been God's best for him. And yeah. I don't want to be a Saul. That's that's a lot of good wisdom right there. Um, and I think it's cool too, Eric, that you know, you, like you just said, you know, you get to now do these incredible adventure trips. It's not like you're you're stepping back and saying, okay, now I'm just going to go, you know, hang out and fish a little play bit on golf and play. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness you're not doing that. Um, that's just a waste of time and money. But I'm just teasing for our yes. golf. We're just teasing. But um, you know, you're seeing this now is like, hey, this is another opportunity. Like this is another chance for me to go make a difference in the lives of some people. And um, you're going to use this incredible thing that we love, this adventure, fly fishing, um, as a means of doing that. And I think that's really great. Yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, I've been able when I was when I was a youth pastor, I actually got accused by the the administrator pastor, which, you know, he did all the accounting. He was kind of a nerd guy. And I was taking another leader trip to the Keys with, we were camping in the Keys and we had boats and, you know, we're going to do all this fun stuff. And we were at some kind of executive meeting and he said, you just, you just use these trips as a reason for you to go play with these teenagers and uh, young adults. That's all you're doing. And I said, Hey, you get to go to your accounting conferences with your pocket protectors and stuff, right? So anyway, uh, so I've always just kind of used adventure to, cause it, I'll tell you what, you get lost on a hike or you, we were sailing a boat across the Gulf of Mexico. I had six teenagers on it and we got into a storm and those life becomes, they get purpose in those kind of yeah. moments. They realize what's important. Well, I was just about to ask you that. So why do you think you're so drawn to these like adventure type trips, whether it's fly fishing, whether it's sailing, whether it's horseback riding and camping, um, why do you think these things are such good means of teaching some of these really important principles? Boy, that is such a, that's such a layered question, man. Uh, I, cause I, and I'm very opinionated on it. You know, I really believe our culture has lost its uh, imagination. They have to have someone plan vacations for them. You know, they, uh, I've never done a cruise. I've told my wife, if I die and never done a cruise, I'll be a happy man. Why would I want to go on vacation with 5,000 other people, especially as I'm older? I think, I think you just learn so much more in nature and you, I feel closer to God in nature. And when you're challenged in ways that, you know, we get challenged in, in our culture and our society that ups our adrenaline, but it doesn't, it's not healthy for us. Whereas in nature, you get challenged in the, like the way we were supposed to be challenged. You know, if you didn't fight or flight, if you didn't run or fight, you're going to get eaten by the saber tooth tiger kind of thing. So I just think it just brings out your, it develops character as well as shows who you are. So I, I just love those things and I just love to be outside. So let's go back to, uh, to some red fishing and, uh, okay. circle back. I love red what, fishing. what, uh, what kind of a setup were you guys, uh, down there? You said you're, I'd like to know just a couple of random questions. One, what's your go-to kind of setup, fly rod, weight, uh, that kind of deal. Sure. And then also, um, do you tie, do you tie some flies for, for that? Or do you have a certain fly that you go to? <laughs> okay. So redfish, redfish are my favorite fish. I love them. I wish they'd make them a sport fish because they're just so beautiful. They pull, I had a Montana, um, Montana guide now who lives in Wilmington actually, and he's starting to guide over in Wilmington, but, uh, his first redfish was down here and he, he says it pulls like a steelhead. He got a 31 inch redfish on fly. It's very first one it pulls like a steelhead. Now I've never fished it. I've never caught a steelhead, so I don't know what they pull like, but the pool on a redfish is just like no other, you know, the tug is the drug, right? So I love redfish where we live. The water's super clear. That's why there's, it's very difficult because, uh, you know, generally if you can make a 35 foot cast, that's what most casts are going to be. But sometimes where we live, you got to be able to cast as far as you can because the water's so clear and they're going to spot you. And after this, you might, you might get one shot. Um, so that's that. I just love red fishing because of that. Uh, the go-to rig, obviously my first rod that uh, my first rod that I ever bought, I told you I got my first rod was a 10 weight. It was a bass pro shop, 10 weight for my pastor. Then I finally bought a rod. It was a Sage. 
I don't know, it was a package, you know, deal where they get the reel and everything. Uh, I bought that and that was my first eight weight and I used it for years and I actually just gave it away last week to a kid. I have a dock and the kids in the neighborhood all fish my dock and there's this one kid that's super polite and super, and we were talking about fly fishing. I was like, hey, I got something for you. I went and pulled that rod out of the garage and gave it to him. He was so stoked. But generally an eight weight is what you're going to ha- uh, fish with. But a redfish seven to nine is pretty good uh, for most redfish. But eight weight is a good all round rod. So we're going to go with an eight weight. As far as flies go, um, just depends because you got you got these you got shrimp patterns and crab patterns and, and then bait fish patterns. So it just depends on how the fish are eaten. Um, one of our go to is what we call a quan, and it's kind of a cross between a shrimp but a bait fish. So you could strip it fast, but you could also leave it sitting on the bottom and just jig it a little bit, twitch it to get it to attract because the shrimps don't move fast. So it just depends on how they're eaten. Like right now in the wintertime, we have lots of bait in the bays, so they're going to hit bait fish patterns. Uh, but more in the summer when it's, you, you might be using more shrimp pattern type that like what they call a quan or, um, I'm not good with the names. Now you asked me, do I tie flies? I have the whole tie flying, tie flying, fly tying setup. I'm just not patient. And I've just, I just, my father was an artist and he tried to teach me art and I just didn't have the patience for it. So is that him? Oh, that's <laughs> so Josh. I'm known, I'm known as the fly mooch. Cause I mooch flies from everybody. That's your new nickname. Joshua just got a new nickname. No, no, I can't have it. He already has that nickname. Uh, You're you're the North Carolina fly. That is definitely what I do off of Caleb. I I mooch a lot of flies. So you you know what, you know what I did? So uh, there's a fly fishing club in our area. And of course it's all old guys. Right. And I was a member of this club. Well, and they were always dying and they'd have these estate sales and it would be, you get this fly fishing equipment off, you know, pennies on the dollar. Well, this one dude had this whole big old cabinet box of all, and it was all filed, you know, different size hooks, everything from nymphs all the way down to tarpon hooks, thousands of them. I bought it for a hundred bucks. So oh, now wow. what I do is I trade guys. I give them 40 Material hooks and 10 flies. There you go. Yeah. That's and that's what player. I do. They go, hey, do I need Because right now hooks are the most expensive part of fly tying. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, come over and pick out some hooks and then. They basically, if you get four f- hooks, I get one fly. There you go. They make me a fly. That just sounds like a sweet so, deal. Why so, don't you start doing that for me? I like that gig. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Tell gig, me what man. hooks you want. I got them, man. I got them. <laughs> yeah. more- Too cool. This guy so, had thousands, thousands of hooks. So uh, how long have you tra- uh, Have you been into this part of, I mean, are you got, do you guide people or do you just take friends? Oh, okay. So yeah, let me, let me, let, so I was doing that for a long time, just, you know, taking people basically doing that without a license, but I wasn't charging, you know, just taking people. So, and then uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided since in my downtime, I'd go ahead and get my license and just start. Uh, but I'm not doing it full time. I just put it out there. Make, if I can make the boat payment, great. Uh, but it's just kind of a side hustle you know, bring in some extra income and do what I love to do. That's really cool. Well, uh, Eric, this has been so cool learning about, um, red fishing, your life and ministry, kind of the purpose and all of the outdoors and, um, why it's so meaningful. Um, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on our show as well, Eric, is, uh, because you're also a dad of, I think you said four, is that right? That's right. I have three of my own and one adopted and Fantastic. then, and then I have four grandsons. That's really cool. Um, so what has that been like for you as far as getting them out on the water? Um, you know, do they, do they fish with you? Uh, and what is that kind of, what has your experience been as far as, um, just, just showing them this kind of life of adventure and why it's important? Well, so, um, it is important, I think for, our, especially as this, uh, as time goes on and technology is so prevalent, it's a, we have a saying at the church that says in the heart, in the race to reach the hearts of the next generation, the ones who get their first win. Mm. And you can see in culture, they're trying to get to our kids younger and younger. You know, what they're be te- trying to teach them in elementary school wasn't even taught in high school when I, you know, about gender and all that stuff. So as a church, we have a task to reach as many young people as fast as possible. Um, let's take that to the outdoors. It's also it, uh, children growing up today, it, the odds are stacked against them that they're going to be an outdoor person because it's just not going to be natural unless they have parents that do the outdoors with them. 
And if you take that saying about getting to their hearts earlier and earlier, you're going to have to start earlier and earlier. And that doesn't mean you force them to fish. It just means that you spend time in the outdoors with them. And that's what I did with my kids all the time when they were young. Like I said, we took sailing trips. I, when my son's, <clears throat> my son was in middle school, I can't tell you how many spring break surf trips I took with him and his friends. You know, we'd take two or three friends and we'd take the tent and we'd go up the East coast of Florida for a week. They're 14 years old and we'd surf all the spots, you know, just doing that outdoor stuff. And now all my kids are still outdoors. They, some of them, their jobs are outdoors. Uh, my daughter is surfing in Southern California right now. And she just came back from Bali and she has a house in Bali. She's getting a house built there. So my ball, my daughter was actually a professional surfer for a while and she ran the Asian pro surfing tour. She was the manager for that. So there, you know, being in the outdoors has just been super important for me. And so I transferred it over to my children and it's amazing to see in their lives. Um, I think it's important because I think it's, you know, when I grew up, you had to play outside. There was nothing else to do. But now I think, uh, like I said, to grow outdoor kids, you're going to have to really be intentional because it's not going to happen naturally because they're going to be drawn indoors with video games and everything that we have going on in culture today. You, 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 does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, and I think you kind of hit on some stuff that I, that I think is really important. I think a lot of times that, uh, you know, we have, I think a lot of times we have good intentions when it comes to getting our kids outside. And I think, you know, the data, the science shows how important it is for kids to spend time on uh, like almost unsupervised outside and, you know, yeah. not like telling them and planning stuff to do for them. But just like, I remember when we were kids, it's like mom and dad were just like, all right, boys, get outside. Like, what are we supposed to do? I don't know. Go find something to do. Get outside, go make it up. <laughs> and um, and I think, I think there's something that's so important to that is, you know, you, you learn problem solving, you learn all these different things and, and stuff from, from being out there and doing these types of things. And um, I think the thing that we have to remember as parents, and this is something that, that I know I'm trying and Sally and I talk about a lot, is uh, it's one thing to like say it, but it's something else like to actually kind of do it and live it and uh, be a part of it with your kids. Like it's another thing. It's one thing for us to be like, all right, boys, you know, it's important for you to be outside. So let's go outside and play. But, you know, if we take them outside and the whole time we're sitting on our phone while we're out there with them and they're watching us, like our behavior matters. Like what we're doing in those moments really, really does matter. And uh, I think that's something that that um, is really important for all of us to kind of remember as we're, as we're trying to be intentional with our kids and, and letting them learn the things that, that adventure in the outdoors teaches them. Yeah. You've heard that saying that says you, you, um, it's easier to, uh, easier to let a horse run than to pull it back. You know what I'm saying is you start out, I grew up with horses and if you get them on a full run when they're trying to head back to the barn, it's harder to slow them down. Whereas if you keep a tight rein, you can let it go if you want. I think it's the same principle with kids is that as they're earlier, if you don't get them out there, it's going to be harder to introduce them to them later on because they're going to be set in what they like and what they don't like. But when that's all they know as a young kid, that's, you know, they appreciate it and they, they gravitate towards it. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, do you have any uh, good stories maybe just of, you know, you, you've say, I don't just sailing along with children seems like uh, an adventure. And <laughs> so I can just imagine like, just putting my kids on a boat sailing trying to, to the even, Bahamas. Well, trying to even <laughs> sail with my, well, my children are still like, well, they're 12 and 12 and nine, 12 and nine now. But you said you did it when they were, I guess, all ages. I mean, I can just, that, that yeah. Be pretty 14, I think the youngest would, crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, you guys, do you, you guys hunt? Uh, a little bit. So I, where I live, there's a lot of hunters and hunters like to, like to, um, you know, not, what's the word I'm looking for? Just talk about the fact that they're self you know, they can sustain themselves out in the, in the country, right? In the woods. If I was trapped, you know, if the government collapsed, I could feed myself, right? That they can, they can uh, get along, right? So the sailing and being on the water is the same principle. You know, we love to be able to know the fact that I can take a boat from St. Thomas and bring it all the way back to Destin and not just a powerboat, but a sailboat because sailing is becoming the lost, sailing is becoming the lost art as well. It's just a sport that's on the decline. It's seen as a rich person sport. Well, it is, you know, many people can't afford a boat. And so most people don't even know how to sail. So much less if you, hey, get a boat from here to there and under sail power. So that's one of the things that I like about it. And I think that you can teach that to your kids, that they can learn a skill that can, that can uh, not only help them in life, but also transfer to other areas in life. 
So I think it's important. Um, and like I said, I've watched our kids grow up with it. But I remember when we were doing our vacations, because this was a, it was not a fancy sailboat. There was no air conditioning. We had like, we cooked on a camp stove. We had lights. You opened the windows. Sometimes we slept on the decks if it was cool outside, you know, cooler than down below. But I just remember seeing my kids, you know, playing backgammon and checkers, not watching movies or reading books, you know, because that's all there was to do. But they knew that the next morning, we were going to surf a surf break that was going to be incredible. And we were going to be the only ones there because we sailed to there, you know. So uh, I don't know. I, I just think it's something I sound like an old dude. You know, I sound like a grandfather. In my day, we lived out in the woods, you know. <laughs> Have you ever done any? But it's uh, so good for kids. Yeah. Have you ever done any of the sailing where you, I don't know, I don't know if you anchor the sailboat and then take the little boat and find some flats or anything like that or? Well, no. that's when we bought that skiff. That's what we did when we st- when we bought that skiff in Puerto Rico. Back. On the way back, we stopped in uh, Jamentos, which is it doesn't even have a check. Like it doesn't even have a government station. There's such a small chain of islands, and we went bone fishing, went and got lobster and conch. We weren't even supposed to be there because we technically we were illegal. But yeah, that's my dream actually. Now is to I want to because we've been taking uh, uh, trips. Well, last year we went to the Bahamas twice on fishing trips. And I was just on the phone right before I talked to you guys trying to plan one for the 1st of April. But I want to do is take a little sailboat over there and bring a skiff with me this time and, you know, go fish the flats. But yeah, yeah I'd love to do that. DIY. Yeah, I dream about it. Yeah. Wow. With Eric, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you guys got to get over the Bahamas too. You've had some guests. You've had the guests from the Bahamas that, what was that? Soulfly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our buddy Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. I looked up his, that place looks pretty sick. I was like, Man, you know what? If I had the money, I'd pay for you guys to go and I'd go with you. But I don't have the money, so just <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That would be incredible. But I would. I would have done it. I want you to know. It was in my heart. <laughs> I, I, I think a weekend, a, a little weekend in Destin with you sounds like a good sounds time like to a us. Good I think time. that'll hey, be let's in. do it, man. Yeah. I think that'll have to Let's happen. do it. And the red fishing is just not in the summer. The summer, the red fishing is horrible because it's too yeah. hot. The fish, the fish move off the flats and into the deep water. So anywhere between September late September and May. For sure. We'll definitely have to keep that in mind. Eric, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, Joshua, anything else before we kind of wrap up this conversation? Well, we want to give everybody a chance to, uh, I want to give you a chance to promote yourself for folks that are vacation down there. Maybe just want a, you know, a good guy to spend the day on the water with, uh, Eric Parton, what's the best way to find, um, tell everybody your Instagram channel. I know you use that to connect with some people. That's mainly what I use. I haven't got anything up yet. I have Fishy the Fishy the Kid is my main site, but then I just uh, have Fishy the Kid Charters. So if you're going to book, you can go to Fishy the either one will get you to me. But you can book a trip with me, and I don't have a website yet. I'm just it's because I'm not like trying to make a living from it. So it's like, oh sure. great, yeah, I'll take you. So it's DM me for rates and dates is what I say. Um, and then if you're visiting Destin, it. Yeah, and if you're visiting Destin and you want to go to church, which I always have mad props for people who go on vacation and go to church because I don't always do it. Uh, what about you guys? When you go on vacation, do you go to church? It depends. Depends on the situation. We we have we have some pretty That's good – we have a couple of good – we've not told on this – stories. We've not told those stories on this podcast, yeah. but we have especially, a couple of Especially good, when we were kids. Yeah, because mom and dad up. would be like, we're going to try this church or – like we're passing it. We're going to just go here in the morning because it's convenient. And we did that one time on all, all 10 of us. Remember? I do remember. We have a great mountains. We have a great mountain church story from that. Nipply needs to hit the podcast. Uh, We might have to tell it. Uh, So we do occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. So I do too. If, if, if I happen to be, cause what I'll do is I'll, when I go preach somewhere, then I set up a trip. Like I go out to Phoenix to preach at a church every year and I'll set up a week of overlanding and camping, you know, so I try to make a trip out of it. So I don't always go uh, on vacation and go when I'm on vacation, go to church. But if you are the type of person that does that, because we get a lot from the South people vacationing down in Destin, shorelinechurch.net. We meet in the old night town, which is right downtown near the Harbor, near all the fishing docks. We have three services, uh, 830, 10 and 1130. And it's, uh, it's, I, I think it's, I've only been in two churches all my life. <coughs> Excuse me. I've only been in two churches all my life. The one that I told you about in central Florida, where I got saved, I was there for 17 years and then shoreline, which will be 19 years this next week. So I've only been in two churches my whole life. Um, loyalty is another one of my values as well, besides adventure. So that's how you can hook up with me. Um, can I say one more thing about children? 
Because I, sure, I, I know yeah. we talked a little bit about kids and oh, your please. fathers. Because I'm a I'm a lot farther along than you guys are, obviously. And a lot of I think a lot of people that listen to you and a lot of your guests have young kids. And obviously, I'm in another stage. And you know, when you get to be 62, that's old I am. You look back and think about things that maybe you could have done better. I don't regret how I raised my kids. I think I did the best that I could. Uh, I do think that they were immersed in ministry too much. Because <clears throat> like I told you, when I get into something, I get into something. I had sidewalk Sunday school where I'd go, we'd go into the projects and we had a paneled truck that would fold out to a stage and we'd do Sunday school every Saturday, except in the summer because it's too hot in Florida. And do Sunday school for these project kids. We'd have 100 kids and my kids came with me every time. Uh, my kids were at summer camps. They did everything with me. And now, you know, they're all adults and church isn't part of their life. And so sometimes I regret it. I think, what did I do wrong? Uh, I look back and one of the things that I am very proud of is that my kids want to be with me as adult, as adults, you know, and sometimes you can get really hard on yourself because you go, what did I do? My kids don't go to church. They don't appreciate church. They're not, you know, only one of them is still involved in church. The rest of them kind of do their own thing. And I think if you talk to them, they love, they'd say they love God. Hey, I'm a Christian, but church isn't part of their life. But one thing I can say I do, I think I did right, is that my kids want to be around me when they don't have to be around me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge thing. And I think that's what you have to, when you're younger, I didn't have that mindset, but of, but that's a goal, I think, is that your children love you even when they don't have to be with you. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know. No, I there, resonate with that. Advice. I resonate with that with that a ton, Eric. And um, that's a conversation, you know, being in ministry and uh, that Sally and I have often, um, Sally's my wife, and uh, we talk about the fact of, you know, the win for us obviously is we want to, uh, our kids, like you just said, we want our kids to want to hang out with us when they don't have to anymore, um, you know, and they're not forced yeah. to anymore. I mean, that's the goal. Um, and that's that's kind of the aim that we have when it comes to parenting in general. But then, too, in a ministry context, I think, you know, Sally and I, we, we talk about that of um, church is important to us, but it's not everything. Um, it's not it's not the main thing. And, and my ministry is super important. And like our ministry as a family is super important but our family is more important. And, um, so yeah. we, we try to think about that a lot. Um, I, I've been wonderfully, uh, surrounded by other leaders and ministry leaders, uh, my late pastor, who's huge on that. Um, you know, his, his biggest desire is that my kids would, would one day love the church. Um, and, uh, yes. and so he, he tries to help me. He, he is very, intentional. He was the guy we had on, uh, Heath, our lead pastor who we had on a couple episodes ago. Um, he's, yeah, very, yeah, I listened to that one. He's very intentional to make sure that, that my family is in, he, he's thankful that they're engaged, but at the same time, he knows that, you know, church life is not all of our life and it shouldn't be, it's not healthy if it is in some ways. Um, yep. and so I'm trying to be mindful of that. And I, I really appreciate you saying that, especially, I know we've got some other dads that, that are, ministers that are that are listening to this podcast also and i hope they'll they'll think about that as well and i really appreciate your um transparency there and being real and, and yeah. helping us think about that oh it's also something that has been like we keep repeating on the show it's a, like recently has been a theme for this is your kid other folks have said that and so it really resonates you want your kids to want to hang out with you yeah i mean and when they're yeah. small they kind of do or they kind of have to but the older they get, if they still want to hang out with you and, you know, for, for your age and for, for us as adults, and we still want to hang out with our parents. I think that's one thing that like, you know, our parents can say they really appreciate and they, they kind of take the heart. Yeah. And with my staff that has younger kids, I've always like, I have a, I have a freezer in my office that's full of popsicles and my sta- all the staff kids know they can come up and get one. You know, I try to make church fun for them. Uh, one of the things I would say for you is never talk bad about the church or people in the church in front of your kids mm. you know because you're going to be hurt because that's the way ministry is <clears throat> and so you just have to but you don't want them because they're not going to have the grace for it yeah you don't want them to feel the same thing for sure man that's that's super good stuff to think about eric eric thank you man this has been wonderful uh this has been a great conversation and uh we just really appreciate you uh sitting at your tent down there and uh <laughs> in mosquito lagoon and living it up and uh taking a little bit of time of your evening to hang out with us we, never is it more dads on the fly that we had 
barely any interruptions via internet. No problem. And we're talking to a guy in a tent. Yeah. We talk to people sometimes <laughs> and 20 minutes to get connected. Yeah. But the man in the tent had, he was here early, ready to go. And we had no issues. I love it. So uh, how cool was that for us? And total dads on the fly uh, theme. Thanks for Eric for being with us, man. We really appreciate you um, guys. If you're in Destin area, make sure and look up uh, shoreline church and, uh, if you're vacationing and, uh, you know, maybe go see Eric and he can tell you about his, uh, his, his glory days and, and then take you out on the boat. <laughs> yeah. Fishy, the kid charters. And we also do sail charters and, uh, like pontoon days, you know, take you to the sandbars, crab Island, whatever. Right. Cause you can do that as well. Besides fishing and sailing. Too cool, man. That's super cool. Well, Eric, thanks again, man. We really appreciate your time tonight. And thanks everyone for checking out this episode of the dazzle fly podcast. And until next time, tight lines. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dads on Fly podcast. We hope this conversation has inspired or encouraged you as a parent or an angler. To learn more about Dads on the Fly, you can find us at dadsonthefly.com or at Instagram or Facebook at Dads on the Fly. Yeah, we'd always love it if you leave us a rating or review uh, as it helps get our word out about uh, the podcast. And if you like this episode, make sure to shoot a message and share it with a friend.